Okay, we're live. Great. Yay! So, welcome to the first episode of Beard Banter. I, I actually can't claim credit for that. Um, we were talking about doing an ongoing series where I can help, you know, raise the tide in the community and bring in industry leaders to talk about things that they're passionate about. Um, and so the format of this show actually came uh, through uh, Jonathan Schofield came up with the name of it uh, for, for Beard Banter. He says he wants a penny for each episode, so I think I can get him at least a dollar in the next 20 years. So, um, But <laughs> joking aside, the intention of Beard Banter is to bring in professionals and talk about industry things and, and kick it around. The format of it um, is there's, there's no pay to play. Uh, I'm not bringing on companies that have, have paid to be on this call. I really just find people that, that interest me. Uh, and find people that have passion for something in the industry. And I want to get a stage for us to get and chat. And also the other part of this is I want people to join in. Um, so as we get started with the show, as we start chatting, once we get the theme kind of established and going, um, people would, would love to have you join in. I'll get you a link to the Restream platform where you can join. Uh, and you can come and go or stay as long as you'd like. And we'll bring you up and have some extra additional uh, conversations. So without getting too much long-winded on this, I want to talk about our first episode. Um, our first episode is going to be about PIM-PAM, right? It's about identity management. It's about security and attribution. And you know, I couldn't think of anybody better to bring on than my friend Martin. Uh, he is the owner of a company called Ruffian Software. And I'll give Martin the floor to go ahead and introduce himself before we get started. So go ahead, Martin. Thanks, Matt. I'm super happy to be here. The, uh, yes, I am very passionate about solving all kinds of problems. Privileged account management is the problem that like has really taken my focus recently. Yeah. Yeah, I love the recently aspect because before the show, you and I were chatting about the minutia of pick-and-place machines that actually can't granulate enough down, so you have to guess and hope to drop it in the right place in some ways. So uh, a new problem indeed. Um, and, and to that point, you know, what we're here to talk about is privileged identity management. Um, I, I'll give it the ELI-5 challenge, right? The, the ELI-5 challenge is that, you know, we as an industry, as MSPs, have, have been basically having to kind of fake it till we make it. You know, you create accounts to manage, you do things differently, different places, but you end up creating a lot of, a lot of risk and you end up creating a lot of gaps in attribution capabilities um, for administering accounts. And so, you know, the, the conversation today is, is about MSPs not having attribution for every action, right? And, and, and what I mean by that is if I, as an admin, go in and make a change to client Y in their admin side using my administrative credentials stored in IT glue or whatever your password management vault is for client A. When you make that change, Later, somebody goes, well, who changed this? Who changed Active Directory to this? Who You've got to rely on ticket notes. You've got to hope that me as a technician did a great job of ticket notes. Anybody watching this uh, here that, that knows me knows I'm not the greatest at that, especially when I was a, a, an operational engineer. Um, and so what you end up seeing is no way to really say who did what. I mean, you, you might find the ticket that started it. You might find an, you know, an idea of who the technician was that put a time entry on, and maybe then you can, can come back to it. But if you ever had to prove that, if you ever it's had to take to that and yeah, it's almost impossible, right? Because you're signing in as admin at companyy.com. You're making um, a guess about because of these other actions on the side, we think you're the person that made these changes. 
Yeah. Yeah, 100%, right? Because we, we believe you're the person that made these changes, but we're making that guess. And, you know, a lot of the ways you would approach this is from a regulatory perspective. And you'd say, hey, listen, the regulation says you have to have a named account for every single person. And I think we've all had that client, right? We've all had a client or two clients that say, hey, you know what? I, I am going to require you to have an account for Martin, an account for Matt, an account for Jonathan, and for anybody that, that does any work on my system and my networks, I want them to have an account. And it's usually driven by regulation. It's your bank's. Uh, it might be some of your financial services representatives, right, where their FinServe uh, company that's, that's doing their compliance wants them to have those things. Um, DOD. And so DOD, sure, great example of that. Um, and, and the challenge is, I think, that we're so used to storing one master credential. We go to their Office 365, we sign in with one master credential. We go to their domain, we sign in with one master credential. Um, and and it's, it doesn't meet their, their requirements. And so then now you have these clients where you're like, man, how would I ever manage all these different identities and keep the passwords up to date? And, and that is kind of the challenge, right? If you have, you know, one person on every single domain with the same password, you've created new problems, mm-hmm. right? And now you've said, okay, Martin White's going to have Martin White's password on every single domain. And then Martin White stores that password or has one password he uses across all of them. And now you end up creating a big attack surface for all of them because once you've garnered or dumped that password from Active Directory, let's say in one with Mimikatz, then it's usable everywhere, right? With just a difference in the TLD on that. And so, you know, I'd love to have others jump in. I think we've got just a couple of viewers right now, but if anybody wants to jump in live, I'd love to have people kind of get in on this conversation. But tell me why you started the company you started. What, what is it you do to address this challenge for MSPs in general? So I worked at an MSP for about 12 years doing software development connected to an MSP. In that time, I saw security become really important to everybody around. Came from, we went from something nobody really cared about to something everybody was hyper-focused on. Privileged account manager we're talking about here was really missed. People would, like you say, make a change. So the owner or the boss would ask, who made this change? And then you'd go back yeah. and you're like, oh, I don't know. Maybe Eric made it. Maybe Andy yeah. made it. We don't know. Probably Eric. And then Eric would be like, I didn't make that change. If it was a bad change, and someone would be like, yeah, I made that change. I'm smart. But there was no accountability. Yeah. Well, you have to have a translator, right? Because you have to say, okay, now I can't just look at this data and make a decision. I've got to go say, okay, it says admin, but who? And now you have to go translate that and track it down. So your, your speed of play gets dropped because you have this new function you have to stop and do to try to figure out the, the, you know, the ask Martin, ask Bob, ask Jonathan game, right? That you just alluded to. Uh, I do want to point out that bearded Pam is actually a sideshow. We were going to bring that in a little bit, but you know, LinkedIn user ruined that for us, but I love that comment. Bearded Pam has a sideshow sound to it. It's great. Um, but, but yeah, anyways, so, so you, you wanted to solve that challenge and, and how did you go about doing that? Um, so I looked around and the, the obvious solution is to have a unique account for everybody on every network, yeah. which is the solution that every enterprise has adopted at their individual yep. domain. On an enterprise, you don't have shared administrator accounts. You have administrator accounts for each person. But MSPs take that to a whole new level when you have 25 techs and 400 domains. That's yeah. thousands of passwords you have to remember. Thousands of credentials, yeah. thousands of accounts to create, maintain, rights to striate. So like looking at that, that is one of those problems that just needs to be automated. We have software, we have computers, we have networks. So I wrote software that automates every bit of that. And that's really yeah. just targeted MSPs. If you need to do privileged account management for an enterprise, 
there are lots of products that do that really well. But yeah. MSPs have a specific tilt to the problem where it's not one account that's authenticated across all these places. It's all these different accounts for all these different people. And it's a pretty geometric problem. As your MSP grows, the problem just gets bigger and bigger. And yeah, yeah. I had 170 uh, employees and 400 yeah. and some odd clients or 500 clients. And so you start seeing that 170 uh, in account one, in account two, in account three. And, and importantly, you know, one of the things that comes into to play when you start thinking about PIM or PAM is that, you know, privileged identity management um, also has some aspects of protection for you, right? Uh, in the sense that, you know, one of the things we like to do at Iconic when I was there was we didn't even want to have admin rights until we needed admin rights. And so we were using our identity, but it would get escalated into an admin and de-escalated back out of an admin so that the threat actor actually had to attack me while escalated, right? Mm -hmm. And so the threat actor actually had to, had to do that um, in, a, in, a, in a fashion when it was not only just attacking me, it was attacking me at the right time. Right. Yes. Or understanding those systemic processes to to fix that. But, you know, when you when you talk about the problem, that's starting to get into and, and I'll say it now. My world is one where even creating those individual accounts is a problem long term. Right. Because yes. they're not me. They're copies of me. There are miniature identities that are non-federated, that are separated, that are that are just set up at each of these different systems. And, you know, I envision a world where we administer through SAML, we administer through OIDC, we administer with our true identity reaching into these entities. The challenge is the technology doesn't support it, right? Unless you're going to do this giant Active Directory Federation, tie all these different clients, which is a bad, 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 bad idea, bad. then you can't you can't solve that. Now, as you move cloud, as you start getting into what it takes to distribute, you know, and, and do this for Microsoft or Google, I believe those systems will solve that, right? I believe those systems, and I may or may not have privileged information about that, but, um, you know, those systems will make it to where Martin signs into his client and does his work as Martin, and that attribution now ties back to Martin. And, 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 and it's going to get easier, but it sounds like you have solved a gap now, <laughs> right? And you've been working on the ability to cover that seven-year gap or so between now and when clients are 100% Azure AD or 100% Google or 100% AWS. And, you know, that's a seven to 10-year time frame. And what we're seeing, and I think you touched on it very well, was we're seeing an escalation in regulation. We're seeing an escalation in privacy. We're seeing an escalation in understanding of people just about security in general, right? Where clients are going, yeah. hey, do you have your own sign-ins? And insurers are starting to ask, Right. The question, um, oh, as soon as somebody popped in, uh, Nate, uh, Nate Sweet. Jones is with us. Just signed up for a demo on Monday. A demo nice. of Matt Lee and Beard Banner? Oh, <laughs> you must mean Ruffian. Okay, much different conversation. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, to the, to the point, how, how do you go about solving this? And what does it mean when you start getting an administrative name tied to a user at all times? Oh, heck, we got Dom Kirby. I'm bringing him up here. Dom, you are up, in guys? the party, buddy. Hey, Dom. Uh, we were just talking about, you know, the beginnings of the challenge for MSPs. And, Dom, you ran an MSP. You ran it the way I would love to run an MSP, uh, at least in our conversations. And, you know, how did you struggle with the, the identity management in all of your clients? Did you have one master AD account that you stored and put in IT glue? Or did you manage individual admin accounts for your MSPs? Man, you know, I'm not sure I want to answer that question. 
We, uh, Be honest, we it's a safe place. Thing. It was unique per client, not unique yeah. per tech. I've done demos used... with hundreds of MSPs, and 95 plus percent of them say the same thing. Well, I don't want to say, but it's one account. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And we all we know We did this. rotate them with lab tech, so the passwords would rotate and feedback through APIs, but, you know. Wait a minute. Hold on. You just got me moving now. So you mean you rotated those passwords, so not only did you have an identity... But you at least cleared the passwords and rotated them. And Martin, is that is that something that you had thought about as well? Is is how to make sure that that password gets burned once and doesn't uh, stay around and doesn't, uh, if you will, uh, exist in multiple attack vectors? Uh, yeah, the right? password only exists. The passwords change every day for every attack, and there's like a whole bunch of RSA public-private key encryption. Where when the password's created and sent around the internet, it's encrypted with a key that only the technician has, and nobody. Even if my entire system is compromised, you get a whole bunch of passwords you don't have keys to. You can't un. Wait, decrypt. that sounds very zero trusty. Yeah, that, that, I don't trust that, <laughs> Like you for, get my software, I can't tell anything you're doing. Like for anybody that that doesn't understand or follow that, um, so what they what he's basically saying is that you know not only is the password rotated right, but once it's created, all that's stored is an encrypted version of that password. And as I understood you correctly, and correct me if I'm wrong, Martin, but the private key necessary to decrypt that password only exists at Dom's level or at Matt's level. It doesn't correct. exist systemically in your system. That is correct. Yeah. I have the public side of that key. I can encrypt information. The private side to get decrypt that information physically only exists on Dom's computer or yeah. anywhere that Dom specifically puts it and keeps it safe. Even there, it's double encrypted with a passphrase that he has to type in every time he wants access to something. So there's the private key, and then the passphrase is part of the encryption as well to sign in as him. So can I store that that private key on a, on a more portable encryption device? You can. Say like a YubiKey or a... You can. Oh, that, wow. That's a winner. That's a winner. That's awesome. So you I carry one of these portable. guys with me, like, everywhere. Like, this thing's never it. not with Damn me. Damn it, you beat me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of three or so. But, you know, <laughs> so the root core problem, I think MSPs, we're in an industry where there aren't regulations. There's no governance. There's no barrier to entry. There's nothing that says I know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> right? There's nothing that gives that, that level of confidence. And so we're starting to see people struggle with that, right? Look at the insurance carriers. If you look at Traveler's Insurance in July, they put out a checklist for insurability on cybersecurity that – was pretty massive. I mean, they wanted MFA on every switch, accounts for every person touching the system. And you're starting to get into, you know, the reason you created this, Martin, is that the, the world is changing. What is good enough is going to change. It's going to be, you know, it's going to take more. Yeah. Um, and so I think for MSPs, a good step in the right direction is one-to-one -one attribution. If I touch something and I do a change, it should at least be trackable back to me, yeah. right? And, and so I think that's where this gets daunting. Yeah. PCI regulations changed just recently also to say you cannot use shared accounts to access any network, any system component, which yeah. is everybody takes credit cards. I take credit cards. Like, if you take a credit card, you've agreed to not have shared accounts. Yeah. Well, and but people don't don't do it, right? Like, you know, a, a building code is only as good as an inspector checking it. Right. And, and I think the challenge we have is that, like, if the building codes had been built with no check and balance to say, hey, 
I did put that roof on right. The, 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 the trusses are at certain center points, and the, the, the walls have studs every 12 inches or 16 inches. Those are codes. Because when they yep. don't do that, the snow comes and the house falls down and it kills somebody, right? Like, yep. right. And so in our industry, I like to make this kind of approximation that we are heading down. Uh, <laughs> 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 I'm sorry. That one got me. <laughs> also in this but, industry, it's a long-term industry. A lot of these uh, owners of MSPs, people that founded them, they founded them eight years, ten years ago when there was no such concern. Yeah. Like, and then Different anybody standard. you from just said you have a network password. Even that terminology is like indicative of one account accesses an entire network. And that's not the way it should be. Well, and the same MSPs, you know, and gosh, this one, I'm not throwing stones in a glass house, but I understand the concept. You know, we, we literally, uh, yeah, Juan's always allowed. Um, but yeah, you know, we as an industry have, have been doing things like who has local admin on their machines? Do most MSPs still have local admin? Yep. Right? So they're not even creating a local user that's non-admin and a local user that is admin. And when they need to do admin stuff, they sign into admin stuff. And, you know, what we're starting to get to is that we absolutely will have to meet that standard of care. We will have to follow. And if you look at frameworks, right, CIS has no admin account, right? You should have a separate admin account. NIST, same concept, right? You're starting to get into these things where we are allowed to be so – we're that roofer that doesn't have anybody checking our work. Yep. Right. There's no defined standards. You know, our standards of care are suggestions. They're they're roadmaps. They're, you know, frameworks like, uh, you know, NIST and CIS. And, and to see what MSPs have as a growing space or how much more we have to improve. This is just the tip of it. Right. This is just the PIM side of it and how we handle our admin accounts, let alone some of the other things that come into those those conversations that we're not doing yet. And so I think the challenge is, is that the standard is raising. And, you know, I like to say raise the tide. There is the capability of being anchored below the tide level. Mm -hmm. And in which case, every scary movie you've seen, they drown, right? Because they're chained right. below the water level. And I think the challenge is, is that we see an industry where it got to grow just like the Industrial Revolution. There was no check and balance. You could make a steam engine. There was no regulations on how you belted it to something. And eventually we locked a bunch of women in a sewing room and they burned to death. And we started having exit handles on doors. And I'm making this, you know, kind of, you know, hyperbole to say, I think we're going to become regulated. I think we're going to fall under more and more tangential shadow regulations like the insurance companies, like the banks, like the, you know, I just saw Beasley said they're not re renewing cyber insurance for MSPs, right? Beasley just said, hey, we're out of the cyber insurance business for MSPs yesterday. It's and, you know, dangerous. you're going to, yeah, it's a loss. It's uh, a guaranteed right? loss, right? And that's the issue. Like car insurance we can go and look at your driving record and we can see right. now that we got the, the crap we can put in the cars and it, it records how we drive, right? Um, and we can say, yeah, that's a pretty good driver, so their chance of like us incurring a loss is, is somewhat low. It's too sure. great. Cyber is a given, right? We're insuring against something that is going to happen in any business, right? So we're, yeah. we're sort of weighing when it's going to happen, how bad it's going to be. That's what insurers are looking at. And that's a yeah. really, really, like, if I would put myself in an insurer's shoes, I wouldn't insure that. Like, <laughs> You know, with, with, with life insurance, if I go in to a life insurance office at 100 years old and apply for life insurance, if I wanted a $100,000 policy, I'd pay $120,000. Yep. Right? And the challenge is, is that insurance of cyber insurance has been doing this, and, in, you know, in the insurance business, you talk about actuarial data. 
right? Data that helps you make a decision on actuarial risk. What is my actual cost of this risk? What's that likelihood of happening? And with the human body, they've gotten really good at that, right? right. Fat, overweight, eats poorly, bad blood pressure, probably going to die like this about this time. Smokes, frame. drinks. All <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know when you're going to die. But in our case, we come in and say, yeah, I've got MFA. Okay. How much do I zoom in and how much do I zoom out? Are you sharing an account? Have you shared the MFA token? Do you have copies of that, of that QR code with the seed value in it laying around everywhere so that every technician can have access to it? Do you have, right, have you created yeah. these falsities where you can say, hey, I'm good, right? Uh, I'm good with, with, uh, with this. I've done these things. I've checked the box. But unlike do you smoke, do you not smoke? Are you fat? Are you not fat? These things aren't as one-to-one -one empirical. Right? And so you start getting into why is it more effective in, in CPAs? Why is it more effective in, in legal and in the bar? Why is it more effective in doctors? Because there's a circle. There's the ability to get rid of bad doctors. There's the ability to get rid of bad CPAs. There's the ability to get rid of bad attorneys. There's nothing to take from us. Right. Maybe your image, right? And, and so I, I think we're starting to get, oh, Nate Jones hit it like hard on this. I got to touch this point. Nate Jones says, you know, ironically, uh, staring at a Beasley ransomware supplemental application for a client, crazy how smart these carriers are getting. You lose a few billion dollars and you get pretty smart. You <laughs> right. know what I mean? You're hire like, some people who are going to help you yeah. be smart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true story. Uh, true story. And I think 2022 will be the year we kind of see most of that wrap up. I mean, I really think right. this next year and a half, we're going to see some major changes. And, you know, I, I go on this talk track where I talk about defensibility for MSPs, right? And Dom, you've heard of me and we've chatted about this before, but it's not about being able to defend your client. It's about being able to defend your actions defending your client, right? And I, I think a lot of these things, when you say, so you shared an account, you had a QR code, you handed that out to everybody like it was candy, and you had no tracking capabilities on it. You didn't even have a way to say someone did get this password. And even if they did, they could write it down. It doesn't change. It's always the same. It's never going to go. Even worse, it might even be algorithmic, right? You get into these things where, you know, that's not defensible. That's kind of like At a coach all. putting nine players on football, right? You need 11. That's the way it works. Um, I'll, and so, I'll make a guilty admission in that. Before password managers came out with this whole store the secret for TOTP, uh, I ended up taking literally a PHP library and writing it against the database so that we could present TOTP codes in a shared fashion, right? Mm -hmm. And we tried to control it, right? It was written and it was, you know, behind Azure AD and a VPN. Like, it was very hard to get into that system, but that was the solution, right? So if there's, if there's a way I can make everyone an account, everyone has their own seed, everyone has their own multi-factor, um, in my dream world, all that ties back to my text sort of work identity right yep right my my azure identity and then somehow that extrapolates but i yeah. think phase one is just creating these accounts that, that are unique like if dom does something the log shouldn't solve it maybe dom did it maybe martin did it maybe yeah, Matt yeah. did it like we had this whole policy at our msp that the best we could do was like look at it glue logs and say all right who copied the password close to the time that this event occurred and that's useless right because there's yeah. no there's no non-repudiation in that methodology. And that's what scares me about shared accounts. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, you wait until the legal industry catches up. There was a symposium and, and a beta group in D.C. last month where the, the feds are trying to teach these ADAs, these prosecuting attorneys, 
how to follow chains of evidence in, in technology, how to prosecute, how to set precedents, how to deal with case law around technology, because our legal industry is really kind of dumb in that regard. I mean, they're really kind of weak in that ability. And so what you end up having is when you have no legal ability to deal with these things and no legal ability to set precedent and understand, you also have no ability to um, sue easily. You have no ability to uh, have, have some of these things have closed loop. And so just to say, the industry is waking up. The attorneys are being taught. They're understanding the risk of these things. They're starting to get the, the, the wheels moving. And so I, I think you're going to want to have defensibility. You're going to want to be able to stand in front of 12 of your peers and say, hey, I followed best practices. I made decisions based on what I could defend. I followed what somebody else said. I wasn't the smartest guy or gal in the room, right? Like I was actually being, you know, reading from CIS or NIST and I made those choices. And, and I think then when you go and have your contact with your client, you say, listen, I'm going to have to raise prices because we need to do these things. They're very important for you. And they say, no, you've built defensibility, right? And I think you have to choose then where are those things okay and where are those things not okay. And, and it comes back to not having a standard. Andrew Moon said it you know, perfectly. He says, you know, this industry, is, this has been needed for a long time. It's too easy to fly blind and hope nothing happens in our industry. Yeah, you can't get sued likely. You can write it away in a hold harmless agreement, right? You can, you can do stuff in a way that most people aren't going to know. They won't know the technical nuances of how you screwed them. But right. the funny part about that is that gap's closing, right? That gap's closing both from an education of, of prosecution, an education of our industry, an education of our client base in some degree, right? And so you're starting to see where you know, this industry is maturing enough that, you know, we, we will not be able to hide those things anymore. And it, and it won't just be about marketability. It'll be about privacy laws. It'll be about, you know, things that, that are not just, did you do due care? Did you do the best you could as an MSP? Now it's a, did you lose data? Yeah. Right. And it's also and other MSPs, like some of our clients are going to potential clients and saying, hey, we do a unique account for every technician. We change your passwords every day. Are the other yeah. MSPs you're looking at doing that also? Right. And just that alone in the MSPs doing marketing to make themselves seem more secure is going to raise the level of the whole security of the entire industry. It's going yeah. to become, oh, just keeping up with Joneses, I have to become more secure. True story. I've just seen scenarios where security is not a part of the conversation. Like you'll look at a website and they mention, you know, they manage servers, they do this and they do it, but there's nothing security in their language. Oh. And those, that's the section that terrifies me, right? That's that guaranteed to get in a horrific car accident kind of uh, operation. And that, that can really be a problem. And it is really a problem. That's why you see CISA coming out and saying, hey, are you sure you want to use an <laughs> yeah. MSP? Like, you yeah. sure that's a good idea? Read that's, your agreements, boys and girls, right? <laughs> right. That's coming out. Yeah. That's the government responding, right? That's them saying, like, hey, we cannot get this under control because of this, Right. Like there's industry partnerships at the enterprise level uh, that are extremely powerful, and I think if if the channel gets to a point where we are making really smart cyber decisions and following through with them, then then there's an opportunity for that public-private partnership to exist. But frankly, yeah. they're not interested because we're not doing anything. It's just as part, it is. that's a hard truth. <laughs> well, and part of the challenge is if you don't have anything that is your quote, source of truth, right? Like right. Uh, a national standard, a law, a GDPR, those type. If you don't have those things, if you don't have something that's, that's referenceable, then it's an education game, right. right? Like my doctor doesn't have to try to explain to me how a folded protein is able to do this in a certain cellular exposure. And 
No, they just say, listen, you have this. We have some solves for it. This is what we need to do. I need you to move forward. The doctor's probably not even asking me if I'm on board, like 90% of the time, unless there's some serious risk to me through this treatment, right? And so, you know, essentially you get into this position where people trust their doctors. They don't make them show their work. Why? Because they, they have some legitimization. They went to school, right? I mean, everybody makes a joke. What do you call a doctor that made a D in medical school? Doctor, doctor. right? But, you know... <laughs> But the, the point is, is that there's some barrier. What do you call an MSP that got a, wait, they didn't get a grade. There's nothing to even basis against. In fact, they're just shooting from the hip, and now it's all about charisma and whether I can prove to you I do it. Well, guess what? That's called con artists, right? Like, that's, that's how they function. And I think that in some degree we're all con artists, right? I think in some degree we absolutely are an industry that is nascent, an industry that is not regulated, it doesn't have any self-regulation, it has no guidance, it has nothing. And yet it can kill you much faster than my hair being cut poorly, mm -hmm. right? And my hairdresser has licensure. So back to the reason I was saying that, you know, there's a challenge in the education is that because there's no legitimization, because we are a baby, if you will, in how we run as an industry, we allow all comers, we have no barriers to entry, we have nothing. Because of those things, now we have to teach our students how the fold proteins work. We have right. to teach them how cellular level activities happen. That's why you go to school for eight years. It doesn't, you can't learn that that quickly. Not enough to make an educated judgment. And yet, we sit in a similar boat of education and are not allowed to make those decisions on a positive way. And even if we are, we probably aren't making them, right? We well, are storing separate accounts. Like IT education has been around forever. You can take computer science, you can take literally sure. like IT degrees. Cybersecurity education is ISC squared and the like, you know, uh, left alone because they've been around for a minute. But like it's true colleges, right, that really invest into developing cybersecurity programs that are worth it are new, right? There's a program at WGU that one of my team members is attending, and it's it's actually really good. He's going to get a bachelor's in, in in something cybersecurity. I don't remember the exact wording, but what they're doing is they're taking industry case studies and industry knowledge sources. And putting those together, right? So most of yeah. that degree is going out and getting, you know, SEC plus, CCSP, blah, 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 all these different certs. But the interesting thing is, is we're finally just starting to see that. And your analogy about going back, you know, plague doctors in the 1500s, and they were, they were using <laughs> yeah, yeah. leeches and wore, wore this crazy mask to keep from getting the plague with, with yeah, rosemary, yeah. right? Worried like, about that miasma. You know? Right. Yeah. And, and we've, we've evolved past that. And I feel like cybersecurity is finally getting that phase where... Frankly, I think a lot of the fake experts out there um, are going to get washed out, right? And that's why I try not to. to it's one of my greatest fears. Come off as an expert, right? <laughs> and the cybersecurity is a continually changing field. So right. like, I got a computer engineering degree many moons ago. That's still valid. Like transistors still work the same. But if it's cybersecurity right. engineering, a cybersecurity degree from when I was in college means nothing today. True like it's just like healthcare, are right? Totally different. So yeah. it's a, something that requires continual relearning, continual education credits. Like you have to keep up abreast on what's going on where. Yeah. Which is kind of part of the challenge of an education curricula, right? In yeah. the, the sense that if you're going for a four-year degree, you're talking dog years. You're right. going through 32 years of industry change during your time there, right? Like I like to approximate IT years to dog years. It's a seven to one factor in a lot of ways. And, and so, you know, you, you have that. And so I think what Dom was just saying, actually, I had not heard about that, but the ability to go cert based and evidentiary based of performance 
means that those certifying bodies are keeping your coursework up to date, right? They're staying right. industry relevant. Well, so, and when you graduate, yeah. if you want to keep all those certs, you've got to go get your CE credits. You've got to be certified every three years. It's yep. very much like a doctor, right? Doctors have to have CE because healthcare changes. 100%. Uh, I have kids, and it's like, but between the times I had my kids, like the rules changed from the pediatric association on when you could start feeding your kids peanut butter because they had made some new discovery, right? And it's very much the same thing, except it happens, like you said, seven times faster, right? Like the attacks of yesterday don't apply. They've pivoted yeah. and they're doing something different right now. Um, yeah. And all that's the, the major, thing. All the major professions have continued education requirements. Professional engineers, architects, right. all like, of it. You name it. Cybersecurity yep. is one of the few that has. But it's not just that. It, it's not just that. Code development. All yeah. of our problems start in our code. Mm -hmm. Right? And yet we well, talk about cybersecurity. Yeah. Well, we talk about cybersecurity as it's this. Um, uh, external thing it's separate from technology is this that is the problem right we right. are seeing a convergence in this industry to where you know you, you made the joke earlier dom about um you know potentially uh msps um oh i lost it dang it it happens but i lost a train of thought that doesn't happen often um yeah anyway somebody start me back off y'all can help live ladies and gentlemen that's yes yes that is the downside of live um, I don't remember where I was going. You just gotta go. I know it's it's unfortunate, like completely lost. It's it's no good. Uh, I'll be uh, interested you know. to see though what the regulation turns out to be. Right? I think yeah. I think the short term is going to be this very hot and heavy insurance press. Yep. Um, and some of the feedback lending. we get, right? Oh, lending is a good one. Uh, yeah. Investing, right? Any sort of uh, investment round, you know, is going to go through that. I've seen that firsthand. Um, and there's so I think a lot of sort of private uh, enforcement is going to start happening, right? I think the next phase yes. for like a travelers is going to be, all right, you filled out a survey, you signed it, it's an affidavit, prove it, right? That's that's the next phase. Like show us, right? Let like, our show me come where... in and look at your tree, look at right. look at your network. We have oh, this yeah. tool set we're going to run, like rapid fire, a whole bunch of like auditing tools. They could just drop on the network and say, yeah, you check this box, but this tool says you're not meeting this requirement. Well, and I bet it comes in the form of not paying. I don't paying. smoke on my life insurance, right? And well, and that's it. Well, you get you say I didn't smoke on my life insurance to pass away, and they do a tox and find out that you've been smoking and that you probably like that. That's going to be uninsurable. You've lied. You've made a, a material right. misrepresentation. Um, what I was making the point on earlier, it came back to me was, we are seeing a convergence in the sense that it was probably pretty stupid of us to say, you know what, we never thought about this security thing around si around technology. Let's add that on. We'll call it something different. It'll be a different thing. This will be the security of IT, not IT. And those are two different things. No, we're going to see a convergence. That's just because we were young. That's just because we built technology before we thought of security and then went back and tried to add security. It so is the extra the two digits. Yes. But it's because the extra two digits on the Y2K bug, right? Oh, like once sure. that's passed, sure. then it, it's it's going to be, yeah, anyways, but sorry. But if you look at like a big company, right, they have they have a huge technology organization and it's there's security people and they do security, but they're part of a broader tree. And the problem is, is if you look at it from the outside, the CISO and the CIO are two totally different people. Right. Yeah. Um, but Which I, you, back to that same conversation, right? Like that's that but they is work together, right? So they yeah. are sort of converged, and they have to make decisions off each other. These decisions are made at board levels. That doesn't apply in SME. There's no board. There's no CIO. There's no CISO. You're the CISO. You're the CIO. Right. You're the CTO. You're the and 
I think you have to really reframe what you think about when you see companies that have dedicated security teams. They're part of the IT organization, 100%. right? In most cases, um, and and if they're not part of the IT organization, that's where you see that gap of if you get into um, sort of pissing matches about like this config change is needed to 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 meet Control X, and oh well, this config change impacts that. So if they are going to be separate, you have to have really defined processes. So like at Pax, we actually have a change, I think it's called a change change advisory board, that's what they're called, we call them the yep. CAB. Um, and that CAB it consists of security folks, consists of stakeholders throughout the organization, and obviously IT folk. And they get together and they discuss changes, and every single yep. person has an angle on that change. So you, you have to have that level of cooperation. So in the, in the MSP space, that's me, MSP, meeting with you, customer, and saying, this is what we found in the last X amount of time. It's QBR. You know, these are the gaps we're missing uh, according to yeah. sys controls. This is what we're going to work on over the next quarter. This is the end user impact. And you have to have that communication. You have to be the doctor. You have to say, you have a tumor, and it is the lack of MFA. And I need to remove that tumor <laughs> yeah. in the next 90 days, or you're going to die, right? And that's, yeah, yeah. That, you have to, it has to be that serious. Yeah, yeah. Um, 100%. I mean, I think these are all kind of parts of the whole problem, right? Um, you know, there's a great question here. It says, what would you tell a service provider who's comfortable with rolling the dice on identity management or doesn't feel any urgency to implement secure policies and practices? They've done it a certain way for a long time without incident. You know, this is going to get me on a soapbox here, but I think as an industry, we're facing a cliff, right? I think as an industry in the MSP service delivery, we're facing a cliff that's pretty big. Um, it's, it's security, it's client maturity, Right? It's SaaS and, and identity-centric models as opposed to traditional hardware plate-spinning models. And so I think MSPs should prepare that if they don't find ways to start solving and aligning to frameworks and aligning to defensibility and aligning to those things, they've got a really long march to overcome it when it comes time. Right, because you will have a self-regulatory body, or you will have regulation, or you will have registration laws, or you will have right. Everybody's struggling to solve this, and so the argument of it's always worked for me has two chinks in its armor. One, you probably aren't regimented enough to find the security stuff that's already happened. Uh, the likelihood that you're doing it this way, quote unquote, without incident, might be a fallacy. Uh, it might be a fallacy of ignorance, right? Saying I, I've not seen them. I don't. You know, one of the things that comes to mind is. When our four entities came together at, at, at Iconic, um, you know, we had never really had massive incidents before. And yet once we came together and had a, a security team finding them, we found more stuff. We found more incidents. We found tickets that should have been incidents. We found things that we're not defining as an incident that should have been an incident. And I think, you know, someone saying, well, we, we don't have any incidents, probably because the other skills that led you to this same decision are weak enough that you probably are not identifying them in reality. Um, the other half of that would be that with the cliff coming, with this difference coming in regulation and changing, I mean, even if you look at it, client maturity, who is it? Jessica said, hey, listen, I do MF, RFPs for a living, and, uh, you know, but hey, the question is starting to get very specific about standards and security. It's refreshing. I, I guess what I'm getting at is if you're not flexing those muscles, it'll be very apparent the delineations in the field of your skill set as a company comparative to the next person. 
and so as different MSPs vie for business of a smaller or more MSPs and a smaller client base as people get consolidated. Or even Pareto principle, right? So you start seeing this 80-20 rule playing out. And I was a part of that at, at, at Iconic, right? We merged seven MSPs over the course of time to become a much larger entity with higher levels of sophistication, with more ability to dedicate, with larger revenues, with the ability to negotiate with vendors around redlining contracts and all kinds of stuff. And so the point is, is if you go look at what I could have told as a story as an MSP around security, around our secure practices, around our compliance and SOC 2 type 1, all of those things, go let me sit next to a company you're vying for and you talk about it. And that only becomes true as people start understanding security. People are panicked. People are starting to understand that this wasn't fear, uncertainty, and doubt. This was just real empirical risk, right? This was just bad guys attacking. You're super weak. Your life's going to suck. That's just real data, right? right? And yeah. now as that's playing out, you're seeing a change uh, in the industry. And it's so not new. I mean, it's, it's just not. I think what's happened over the last, I don't know, 10 years is it's gotten easier to attack people, right? Oh, I mean, for God's sake. We're, we're so much more connected. We're so much more reliant on our technology. Uh, and any the attackers, business today. Go ahead. And the attackers have also stepped up their game. No longer is right. it people downloading some software and like trying to figure out how to hack your system. It's people buying Black Hat SaaS software with 24-7 tech support. So yep. they're hacking through your network and they run into a problem. They literally dial their Black Hat tech support and say, right. hey, I've run into this thing on this network I'm trying to break into. Yeah. And the Black Hat's like, oh, this is it. Here, let me give you this. And you do this and like... Katosa one two three. That's the trick. That's... Yeah, the attackers have gotten much more sophisticated. Yeah, yeah. And we haven't spent as much time talking about Pim and Pam, but I think the concepts are, are so intermingled that you know it really is a maturity of MSPs. I think what you look at, and Dom said it well earlier, is that you know I sit down with my client, we go over the CIS control, we talk about which one we're going to implement, what we need to improve on, what we need to iterate on. And I think, you know, the reason I wanted you on to talk about Pim Pam is it is a fairly narrow conversation. It really is. Have an account for every person. Be able to manage that in a way that's, that's cryptographically protected and be able to manage that in a way that you're rotating the secrets and changing those over, right? So um, the way I look at that as is that's just a basic piece, but it is part of those iterative steps as an MSP you should look at. And it's a fairly low-hanging fruit one. Right. Yeah. It really isn't all that bad. If you start getting into Azure AD, right, and you have a lot of licensure costs, I can understand how that's a difference. But um, that's getting solved in a different way, uh, allegedly. Um, and so that gets a lot easier. But you still have to solve the 10 years of technical debt of all of these Active Directory infrastructures that exist. And this is, a, you know, your product's a pretty good way to do that. And so I'll let you close this out. I'm going to go ahead and say that, you know, we want to keep these less than an hour. So we're, we're at 40 minutes or so. So I want to be respectful of people who have consumed this as time. Um, but would you go ahead and close this out, Martin, just on a closing thoughts around Pim Pam and why MSPs uh, should, should really look at, at an automated methodology of delivering identity management and privileged access management? Yeah, thanks, Matt. The, the landscape is really changing. Like we've mentioned, the regulations are coming out. Clients are becoming more intelligent. Your competition with other MSPs is becoming more secure. Automated privileged account management where everybody has a unique account on every domain and everything about that's automatically managed. The rights are managed, the passwords changed, credentials are all cryptographically passed around. That is just something MSPs need to move, do moving forward, whether they use my software or somebody else's. You have to automate all of that because the MSPs are a really much more complex problem than an enterprise. Yeah. So we humans suck, especially yeah. at tasks that take repetitive, non-refutable, 
things. Automation is the answer. So yeah. I appreciate you being here, Martin and Dom and, and everybody Thanks in the audience has asked great questions. And, you know, this is the beginning. I'm going to start doing these uh, at least once or twice a month to try to highlight and have great conversations with other people. I'd love more people on this. I want to say thank you to Juan, uh, Jonathan, Jessica, uh, Andrew, everybody that's been here uh, for this. And you guys were here for the inaugural beard banter. Uh, hopefully we'll get a lot of industry professionals and players and hackers and babyface doms. You know, he's the, uh, yeah, you should do the Hanslevin, the the bolt on beard, (laughs) right? Yeah. So awesome. Thank you guys so much. And Juan, it is our job to protect our customers. You're 100% accurate. And I love you, brother. Thank you for being here. See y'all. Bye, y'all.